0: We just finished uh, Revelation. That was uh, just a tremendous day. Did you guys enjoy that? That's kind of an awkward question. I mean, you, you say uh, It was just such a blessing in my own heart. Uh, so just love that, that book study. And then, uh, as Jordan said, in two weeks, we celebrate our 10-year anniversary. Wow. It's, seems like crazy we're 10 years old already Um, so that's coming up and then after that uh, through the summer we're going to start a series of the life of christ it seems like it's been a while since we've been in one of the gospels so mostly through the book of matthew we're going to be looking at the life of christ but we had this like two-week gap after revelation to to our 10-year anniversary and it's like well what do we do it's like i know let's talk about biblical manhood and womanhood that'll be great uh it's gonna be fun Everybody's going to love it. There's going to be no problems. There's going to be no angry emails. It's just going to be swell, right? Uh, no, I'm kidding. This message is full of triggers. I'm just going to tell you that right up front. This week and next week, uh, it's gonna, we're going to solve our Easter problem. So, uh, we have... I'm just saying, this is where we're going, all right? (laughs) Open your Bibles, like, we're going to talk about it. Uh, And and it can seem like it's a tense issue, or there's a lot of confusion around gender in our world. Um, You have, uh, just young people, you just got to know, like, the generation before you, not even that far back, the phrase, I am a man trapped in a woman's body, Like, we didn't have a bucket for that. Like, that's just such a new concept that seems to be a reality in our world now that's like, oh yeah, that's a situation we're dealing with. And like, how did we get there? And that's a whole other conversation. But there is gender confusion in our world. Like, when you're watching biological males compete in women's sports, you're just kind of like, you know, she won. Well, she's a he. Like, that's a dude. Like, how how do you, like, get there? And it's just kind of, don't, don't get too high. I mean, we're going there. But you see, when you interview somebody uh, like in a hearing in Congress for their position, a new common question is, can you define a woman? And it seems like we struggle to do that. And there's a lot of like gender confusion in our world. Is gender just a spectrum? And there's just kind of a lot of places you can land on the spectrum. Is gender just a social construct? Is gender just kind of cultural stereotypes we impose on men and women? Or is there some intentional intelligent design behind being a man or being a woman so we have a lot of parents in this room if you're raising a young boy or a young girl and, they, and and your boy comes up to you and says dad dad what does it mean to be a man right or, or your little girl says what, what does it mean to be a woman?" And the, t- the temptation is to kind of answer that question very generally. Like, you need to be responsible, you need to be honest, you need to be a hard worker. It's like, yeah, but that, that can apply to both men and women. Like, what does it mean to uniquely be a man and uniquely be a woman? Or you can just kind of go just strictly biologically. Like, go kindergarten cop on it and just talk about, like, differences. Some of you saw the movie, some of you didn't. <laughs> like, you just, just, like, talk about the biological differences, but is there more to it than that? Not just male and female, but is there maleness and femaleness? What does it mean to be a man and not a woman? What does it mean to be a woman and not a man? Now, the tendency today is to stress the equality of men and women by minimizing the unique differences. And I just want to say, like we're equal. We are created with both equal dignity, value, and worth in the image of God. We're equal. But it seems like equal has turned into same. Like men and women are interchangeable. doesn't matter. Man can do that. Women can do that. It. it doesn't matter. We just kind of erase differences in the name of equality. But, and this is shocking and controversial. But we're not the same. We're not. We're not the same. And when we act like we are, it just creates confusion and frustration and overreactions and overcompensations. And you get this mess. And it can feel kind of like we're in the middle of a big gender mess. But it's a lot deeper than just transgenderism. Like when you look at transgenderism in our world, you just kind of feel like, oh, maybe our world has some confusion when it comes to gender. But it's so much deeper than that. Usually when there's chaos in the world, it might mean that there's confusion in the church. And when our world doesn't know what it means to be a man or a woman socially... Maybe that's because the church doesn't know what it means to be a man or woman biblically. Like we've lost what it means to be a woman or to be a man by design. By intentionality by God. And listen, the way out of this mess is not to make gender more fluid. It's to make gender more biblical. But what does that mean? Uh, Here's what we believe the Bible clearly teaches. Men and women were created differently on purpose, right? Now, if you don't agree with that statement, you're just going to get really mad from here on out, right? Now, if you agree with that statement, you still may get mad further out, but at least we kind of have a foundation to build upon. Like on a basic level, what we believe the Bible clearly teaches is that men and women were created differently on purpose, both male and females, God is behind it. He is our creator. He made us. He made us our maleness. He made our femaleness. And it was his design. And it was good. And it was on purpose. It wasn't like he made Adam and Eve it was like, whoa, one of you is different than the other. Like it's like, no, I did that. I did that on purpose. Like that was my plan. And God made man and woman different on purpose. And the differences have meaning. One being procreation. Men and women come together and can make a baby. But hear me now, the differences, the importance of the differences go so beyond just biology or procreation. Like there's meaning behind the differences. The differences between males and females is meant to give us a fuller picture of God. Both males and females were made in the image of God. But there are some ways that women uniquely image God. And there's some ways that men uniquely image image God and together we give a fuller picture of God and in a unique covenant relationship between a man and a woman in marriage we give this unique picture of how Christ loves his church his people like when a man and a woman come together in marriage and this unique relationship it's an illustration of the gospel so let me kind of put it more offensively your gender is not even about you Like, there's a greater, grander purpose behind it, and it's meant to glorify God. And the way men are made and the way women are made, to live that out is meant to be for the glory of God, the way He designed us. But what I want to focus on is how exactly are we different? What is the unique biblical calling to a man? What is the unique biblical calling to a woman? Or put it like this, what does it mean to be a man, biblically, not just biologically, And what does it mean to be a woman, biblically, not just biologically? So, that's where we're going. We're we're going to look at biblical masculinity today, or biblical manhood, and then next week, uh, we'll look at biblical femininity, or biblical womanhood, uh, on Mother's Day. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Okay? (laughs) Love it. So, let me just start off with uh, some provocative Bible verses, in case the tension in the room isn't high enough. All right, this is 1 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15. Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Now, I know we're taking something out of context, but I want to point something out here. Um, what does he mean that nature teaches that? It's like, I've seen National Geographic. I don't know if they've ever talked about hair length on that one. Like, nature doesn't talk to us about or teach us about hair length culture does culture teaches us about hair length but but that's going to be a different depending on your culture like even in the bible a sign of samson's faithfulness was his long hair that he didn't cut it so what does he mean that that nature here now paul is not making a universal statement about hair length but he is making a universal statement about gender he says here's what nature teaches us men and women are different And men are supposed to act like men and look like men and dress like men. And women are supposed to act like women and dress like women and and look like women. It's like you are to embrace the uniqueness of your design. Like nature itself shows us that men and women are different. You're like, okay, but what does that even mean? Like practically. Because that may depend socially or culturally where you're at. Like if you're a man living in Scotland, you may wear a kilt, right? It's called a skirt here. Wouldn't recommend it. Right, And I know the pushback, it might be like, well, are you just trying to push like cultural norms and stereotypes on gender? It's like, to an extent, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, hey, embrace it where it honors the distinctions between men and women. That's a good thing. But let's go deeper. What about no matter where you live, what time you live, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? Like, what transcends those type of things? Here's another uh, controversial verse. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like what? Men. And then he says, be strong. Act like men. Be strong. Like, well, Well, what do you mean by that? Is that just something for men? I mean, that word, act like men, is just one word in the Greek. Uh, in the ancient world, it was used to kind of like uh, a, a cry or a battle cry into into war. It's a call to courage in the face of danger. That's what it means. It's a call to courage in the face of danger. So here, here's what you got here. Um, you have a call to bravery, courage, and strength. And it's attached to manhood. Is that Right. Or is that just some kind of like old cultural stereotype that has led to harmful male macho attitudes? They're just watching too many westerns. I mean, usually today when people talk about masculinity or any kind of expression of masculinity, um, they're talking about how it's toxic. This is toxic. It's harmful. And sometimes the narrative can seem like it's just bad to be a man. Men are the problem, right? Men have messed things up. Men are the issue. And that kind of thinking has had an effect, and you see the consequences of it in our society. We're at historic record levels of young men, not in church, not in college, not in the workforce, not in relationships, and still living with their parents. And young men are four times more likely to kill themselves. There's a manhood crisis in our country. In our world. Like we've lost what it means to be a man. And sometimes we think even being a man is a bad thing. What does it mean to be a man biblically? Like what has God uniquely called men to? And the pressure to be a man in our world, by our world, often as an overreaction to being a man as a bad thing, can be toxic. It can mean like, hey, if you're going to be a man, then you need to be domineering. Like, you need to insert your power. Use your strength. Or it could mean like, if you're going to be a man, then you need to be financially successful. You need to drive this type of car and live in this type of house. Right? Or if you're going to be a man, then you need to have sexual conquest. And you need to get the girl. Right? And if you can do those things, then you're a man. In fact, you can do all three. You're the man. You're the man. Right? (laughs) Is that what it means to be a man? Now, here's where it gets tricky. Are those things bad and need to be rejected? Or are those things a distortion of a design that needs to be redeemed? You tracking with me when I say that? Because I think the knee-jerk reaction to any of those things is, yeah, those are bad. But are they bad and need to be rejected? Or are they a distortion of a design that needs to be redeemed? Because there's something in the design of a man to lead. I mean, we're commissioned in the garden to have dominion over the land. Here's a helper. Work to keep it. Like, do it. Like That's in our wiring. But domineering, oppressive, exhorting of authority, that's a sin distortion. I mean, there's something in the, the wiring and design of a man to like a woman. But to want to objectify women and conquer lots of women, that's a sin distortion. I mean, there's something in the design of a man to work, to provide, to succeed. But thinking the one who has the most money wins, that's a sin distortion. So church, hear me now. The solution is not to reject masculinity. It's to redeem it. And to redeem it, we look at scripture. And I just want to kind of pause here to set a a trajectory for us. We're Bible people. Like, that's who we are. like. We're Bible. The Bible is our authority. Like, we go to the Word of God. Like, what does Scripture tell us in this? And if you read the Bible, I'm telling you, you're going to come across passages You're like, I don't know if I like that. I'm just going to admit it. If I wrote it, I wouldn't put that in there, right? There's going to be places that's like, that's that's hard to swallow. And sometimes when people read those passages, the, the reaction is, well, the Bible is outdated, it's oppressive, and Paul is sexist. I just want to be clear. We don't believe that. We don't believe that. We believe the word of God is true. It's good. It's trustworthy. And God is good. And God is wise. And he knows what he's talking about. And sometimes the way we see things from our limited perspective, we're coming to some different conclusions. And it collides with what the Bible says or what the Bible teaches. And in those cases, we don't assume that the Bible is off and needs to be adjusted for us or explained away. We believe we're sinful people and we need to be repentant and adjusted to God's wisdom. And the Bible is our authority. Over our thoughts and feelings, we're coming to the Word of God. It's like, okay, what do you have to say about this? But I'm just warning you. When you go to the Word of God, there's going to be some passages that's like, I'd like an editor please, <laughs> if we could just kind of remove that. That would be a lot easier. There are some really difficult things. Because I'm not getting enough awkward looks, let's do another one. Here we go. This is First Timothy two twelve and 13. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. That's never going to be Caleb's verse of the day, okay? I'm just going to tell you that right now. Now, it's not fair. I feel like it's not fair to just kind of read that and not unpack it. Um, But here's what I want us to see just for now. There's like these distinctives and calls to men and women, and he goes back to Adam and Eve to make his point. Like, hey, hey, this is kind of rooted back to who Adam and Eve are and the creation order. So, for us to better understand, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? I want us to go back to Genesis. So, yes, that was just the introduction. Genesis 2 and 3. If you got your Bibles, turn to Genesis 2 and 3. We're going to make some creation observations. I'm not going to read all of Genesis 2 and 3, but it would be best if you had your Bible open for you to see that. We'll put them on the screen, but I want you to see it. And there's a lot we could say. I would love to make this like a 10-week series. We're just trying to lay a basic foundation. All right? And in this basic foundation of what does it mean uh, biblically to be a man, I'm just going to give you a statement, and then we're going to try to unpack that statement. And here's what you need to know. Here's the statement. Biblical manhood is embracing the responsibility to lead, provide, and protect. Biblical manhood is embracing the responsibility to lead, provide, and protect. Now you hear that and you might sound like, that sounds like something some old school father would say. And it's like, listen, if that's just traditionalism, I don't care about it. And neither should you. I want to know, is it biblical? Like it is in the Bible. Do we get direction from the Bible? So we want to go there. And I'm going to say it does. That's why we're stating it. But I'm saying that's where we want to find it. We don't want to just go back to the 1950s. We want to go to the Bible and be directed by the Bible. Now, here's a bit more robust, uh, theologically robust edit to that statement biblical manhood is embracing the benevolent responsibility i say benevolent because it is the good it's for the good of mankind to lead through the word of god and provide by working to the glory of god and protect as accountable to god and we'll kind of see uh, all of that when we look at each one of those but that's the call to lead provide and protect now don't hear me now, Don't jump to the conclusions. Like, well, does that mean? Women don't have leadership gifts. Does that mean women can't provide. Like, we'll get to that next week. This week is on biblical manhood, so we'll take turns doing that. But this is what we're going to look at this week. So, let's work backwards. You guys ready? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. You ready? Uh, <laughs> embracing the responsibility to protect. Uh, now there is a reaction in our society from women who could be like i don't need a man i don't need a man to protect me let me just say you don't okay you don't you need jesus you don't need a man but we exist so i <laughs> try to make sense like i'm here and uh what do we do you know trying to figure this out now i i have a boy and i have two girls um my oldest out of the house now uh the middle child's getting ready to leave. They got one left. But you raise... I'm going to step off set because this isn't like, thus saith the Lord. This isn't our household. In raising Moses, my, my son, I've told him, listen, if you ever see another man or boy mistreating your sisters, you have my permission to lay the smack down, okay? And it's like, Dad, what if I get in trouble at school? I'll pick you up and we'll go out to eat, okay? That's what we're going to do. <laughs> Look at that. going to say that. That's okay? Now, I stepped aside. Now, listen, listen, listen. I have never had that conversation with my daughters. I've never said, Johnny, if you see somebody picking on Mo, like, you know, like, there's just something different and a different expectation. And that is an expectation that exists in society. Like, we have that phrase, uh, women and children first. Is that wrong? 2012 in Colorado, a movie theater, uh, Dark Knight Rises in the theater. Uh, Somebody comes into the theater, throws some gas canisters, takes out an automatic weapon or some automatic, and just starts firing in the theater. Two boys that are on a date with their girls, lay them down on the floor, lay on top of them, end up getting killed but protecting their dates. That was universally applauded, like good on them. That same year, an Italian cruise ship goes down 32 people died and it was reported that men were pushing aside women and children to get to the lifeboats first it was universally condemned why? why does that matter? Where, where's the expectation? and why does that exist? I remember watching a Seinfeld episode where there, was, there wasn't even a house fire the oven started to smoke George panics pushes this old lady out of the way to get out of the house everybody laughed at him like what do you do? like we don't act that way at our house, if we hear a noise at the night, in our house, when we're in bed, we don't split that 50-50. We don't like, hey Mars, I, I heard the last one. You go check this one out, right? Like, Yeah. Hey, could you give me some water while you're up? Like, We don't do that. And you don't split those 50-50. Like, there's just this different kind of expectation. But hear me now. I don't care if it's just a cultural expectation. Is it biblical? Is it, Are we biblically called that? Now, first off, if you do believe in... Uh, intentional, inten- uh, intelligent design. Then the fact that men have bigger uh, muscle mass and bone density, are stronger—like that—that means something, right? That—that that, that was done on purpose. That—that that means something. I know some of you are like looking at me, like, "Are you trying to tell me that men are stronger than women?" Yes, that's what I'm trying to tell you. Now, pause. In some ways, men are stronger than women. In some ways, women are stronger than men. Like, I think it's medically proven that women handle pain better than men. But I'm just saying, if it's arm wrestling, nine out of ten times, I'm going with a man. Okay? And I say nine because everybody knows that one girl. It's like a Russian shot putter. She's like, I should take <laughs> But, you know, but hear me now. Listen, listen, listen. I'm a limit on time. It's not just physical. You get that? The protection is not just physical. Look at Genesis 3, 8 and 9. And when I heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? So when Adam and Eve sinned, the serpent deceived Eve, ate the fruit, gave some to her husband. But when God came calling, who did he call for? The man, right? Adam. It's like, where are you at? I want to talk to the man. I want to talk to Adam. I put you in charge. How how could you let this go down on your watch? Like, where were you? He's holding him to it. That's why I would say protect is accountable to God. And it's not just physical. Eve wasn't physically assaulted. She was deceived. And God's saying, Adam, I got a problem with you. How could you let that happen? How could you let that deception happen? And he's calling him to account. So much of making sense of our calling as men in this world is the illustration we get to how Christ relates to his church. So look at Ephesians chapter 5. It says, husbands, love your wives. Okay, how? As Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He gave himself up for her. He died for her. That he might sanctify her. There was a motive that, Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, the commandments of God, her holiness matters, so that he might present her to the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. That he's willing to die for, protect to put yourself out there, but also cherish Holiness matters. Like the protection goes beyond just physical. It is physical and it's beyond physical. So men, right? If you hear a bump in the night, you get up, okay? That's in design. That's honoring to God. And don't just protect physical. Protect the heart. Protect the truth. Uh, Have holiness matter. Okay, you good? Second one. Uh, Embrace the responsibility to provide. Embrace the responsibility to provide. Now, men, uh, we were made to work. I'm not saying that women don't contribute in that. We'll get to that next week, so just just relax. Um, But before Eve was created, men was uniquely called to work. Look at Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. You, you are designed, before Eve was even created, and commanded to work. To work the garden. Now, now, to take work and provision away from a man, you mess with some internal wiring in our design. If you take work and provision away from a man, you mess with some internal wiring in our design. And hear me now, I am all for helping people in need. But there's a point when handouts hurt specifically men. Men are, who are made to work. And we see this in how the fall or the curses handed out by God after the fall attacks or addresses men and women uniquely in their calling. So look at Genesis three sixteen through 19. Uh, this is God kind of giving out the consequences from their sin. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, the curse uh, to men uh, and women is not, men, you got to work, and uh, women, you have to have kids. That was a command before the fall. Uh, Before the fall, they were to procreate. Before the fall, Adam was called to work the ground, and he was given a helper to do that. Uh, So the curse doesn't lead to that. The curse just made those things more difficult. You with me? So sin doesn't negate design, it just corrupts it. It just corrupts it. And that corruption has so shaped life, or the life we experience, because the toil of work has often led to the laziness of men, and the laziness of men has often led to the corruption of society. But before the fall, work didn't involve the the toil type of agony that the curse brought to it. It was a joyful calling that was done for the glory of God. God made this paradise. And he put Adam in it. And he said, here's a helper. Now go at it. Work it, cultivate it, grow it, have fun, enjoy to my glory that I made this. Like, we, we hear garden and, and we, we look at it from the perspective of like post-fall. So we're like, I don't know if that was that much of a paradise. Like, are you weeding all day? Like, you, we don't like have this kind of attraction to it, but this is pre-fall. Think of it like giving a kid a box of Lego and just like, go at it, create, have fun. Like, there's excitement behind it. Like, this was it, but post-fall, now there's, Agony and toil to. That's why I would say, men, we are designed to provide by working for the glory of God, to enjoy and subdue His creation. Men we're to be good workers. And again, to to this understand this call to provide, it's modeled an example by how Christ loves His church. Look back at Ephesians five. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but what? Nourishes and cherishes it because Christ, just as Christ does the church. To nourish is to what? It's to provide. Like we need nourishments to live. We, when you nourish something, you provide for it. You say, hey, this is, this is a call to love your wife or to provide. Like this is the way I built you and wired you that you need to pr- provide. Now some of you men are sweating because you're like, I got to provide for my wife. Do you know her taste? <laughs> don't, don't look at her. Don't nudge it. It's like like Gucci shoes. Like, listen, no, you need Jesus, food, water, and shelter in that order, right? That's providing. Now, on the other hand, men, you can provide lavish vacations and great homes and nice car and new cabinets. But if you are distant spiritually and emotionally, that is not providing. And does not get you out of that responsibility. So men are called uniquely to provide. Let's go to the last one manhood is about embracing the responsibility to lead now you hear lead and all kinds of things may come to mind negatively you may think of like this oppressive drill sergeant so like it's a negative tense the, the word the bible more often uses headship which is probably equally offensive in our culture but when you think of like a man and a woman going out to dance and do this beautiful dance someone has to what Someone has to lead And when God made his creation, when he made this beautiful paradise and this garden, and he put Adam to work it and keep it, it's like, here's a helper. It's like, this is going to be beautiful, but but in my plan, somebody's got to lead and somebody's got to help. And this is the way he wired it. And here's how that played out. God looked at Adam. He's like, it's not good for you to be alone. Let me make you a helper. But he doesn't go right to making Eve. Remember what he does? He parades all the animals in front of him of Adam, to try to find a suitable helper. And when he does that, Adam names all the animals. And in naming the animals, he kind of asserts like his authority or his leadership in that situation. But they do not find a suitable helper. So God has Adam go to sleep, and out of his rib, he fashions woman. When Adam awakes, he's excited, and he names the woman. In fact, he names the woman twice in that story. Now, that doesn't mean that Eve is just like one of the animals. In fact, it's different. The point was, there was no suitable helper found among the animals. So, uh, Eve is unique. She is special. And there's this unique kind of partnership in this this relationship between men and women. So, you have Adam, who is made from the ground and tasked with cultivating it. And Eve, who is made from Adam and tasked with helping him. And before the fall, you have this beautiful complementary relationship between men and women, different roles, but side by side, and they're better together. But also there is an important insight about Adam's leadership responsibilities often gets missed. If you remember the story, the fall is about to happen. The serpent is going to deceive Eve, and she's going to give some to her husband. But notice this. Go back to chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you, sh- you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. Now guys, that command was given before Eve was even created. She didn't exist yet. And God gave that command to Adam, which means it was Adam's job to communicate the commands of God. It was his responsibility That's why we would say that they need to lead through the word of God. Godly male leadership isn't doing your preferences and your desires. It's stewarding a representation of God to carry out God's desires and his words and his commands. That's what it's called to. It's clear that Adam was to provide leadership. And that model gets reinforced throughout scripture. Here's another shocking text. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. Again, not going to find that on a coffee mug, but you will find it in the Bible. And that's hard. Now again, I feel like it's a little unfair to just read that and unpack it a bit, but the passage is not as confusing as it is controversial. I was it is controversial. God, by design, has put a call on men to provide leadership. Now, I'm not saying that women don't have leadership abilities. Again, we'll get to that next week. But hear me now. Gifts, talents, desires don't trump design. They don't trump design. They function within design. And within God's design, he has tasked men with responsibility to provide godly leadership. And I say responsibility. Because where responsibility is given accountability follows. So like in Hebrews 13, when there's this call that to submit to your leadership in a church context, that the reason is because they will give an account. Right? And who gets called out in the failure in the garden? Adam. Because where responsibility is given, accountability follows. And this is a responsibility, men, that you should feel the weight of the calling to embrace the responsibility to lead, provide, and protect. Now, sometimes, in our day and age, the Bible gets attacked for being patriarchal. Like, it's kind of used as this negative term. The Bible is patriarchal. And just for clarity, it is. All right? It is patriarchal. God reveals himself as Father. You have the patriarchs as the Father of, uh, of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not Sarah, uh, Rebecca, and Rachel. We have the 12 tribes of Israel. we the 12 sons of Jacob. You have the 12 disciples. Like, it is patriarchal. Now, patriarchal is not bad oppressive leadership is bad exploiting the weak is bad objectifying women is bad but patriarchal leadership is not bad in fact jesus our king is the fulfillment of the patriarch because someday he will sit on the throne forever and rule us now jesus as the ultimate model of manhood was revolutionary in how he treated women in public he, he, he broke cultural norms of speaking freely to women in public. Many of his healings were of women. He, his teaching on divorce treated women as a person and not just property. His teaching on lust showed that women should not be objectified. Women played an important part in Jesus' ministry. And yet, he affirmed the role of male leadership. But listen to me, guys. Male or men leading and women thriving is not a dichotomy. Men leading and women thriving is not a dichotomy. And the lie we tend to buy into is that differences in design mean inequality and in value. It's not true. Or, or in order for everyone to thrive, everyone needs to be the same. In order for everyone to thrive, then everybody needs to be treated the same. But we're not the same. And we can keep acting like we're just interchangeable and the same. It's just going to lead to more frustration and confusion and overcompensations. We're different. And we're different on purpose. And a good God knows what he's doing. Now, the reasons we don't always feel like it's good is because of sin. This harmonious, complementary relationship between men and women gets corrupted in the fall. In fact, when you look at the fall as a complete narrative, um, what you see is this one big disorder. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty cool as a work of literature. But, but what you get is you have God who created man, who made out of man, made women. And then out of woman, uh, or excuse me, to both men and women, he gives them dominion over creation. Like that's his order. God made man, out of man he made woman, and then he gave both man and woman dominion over creation. What do you see in the fall? A creature deceiving a woman who gives fruit to her man who then has to answer to God. It's a complete disordering of creation. That's how sin corrupts what God has made. The corruption of sin is a disordering of God's design. And we feel this dysfunction. Anybody feel dysfunction between men and women? You don't want to say anything. You do. In fact, look at Genesis 3.16. To the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now it's that last sentence that's that's interesting. It says, Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now guys, desire doesn't mean like She's looking at Adam like, This is kind of desire. It's different. In fact, the same word gets used when God is addressing Cain for his sin. If you remember, Cain uh, offered uh, just kind of a poor offering to God and God lets him know about it and Cain's kind of having a pity party. Well, God confronts him and says, Hey, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's, referring to sin, desire is for you. And what he's saying is, Sin is, is desire, is wanting to master you. Same word here. It's like, this is part of the curse. Like, hey, women, you're going to want to master men. But the other side was men, you're going to rule over women. He's like, here's what the curse is. You're going to be strife between men and women. There's going to be difficult. There's going to be opposition that gets played out. And sometimes in our, in our world, you see the curse of mastery getting played out. Women who are manipulative and controlling Right? Don't look. Just trying to help, help a brother out. Uh, right? You've heard the phrase, oh, she's got him wrapped around his finger. Right? Like you see the curse of mastery getting played out. Usually thrives around passive men. You know, just don't want any conflict. Don't want to do anything. Often you refer to your wife as the boss. I just, let's, let me check with the boss. Got to check with the boss. All right? Let me just tell you guys. I'll just go there. Men. You can't lead somebody you're afraid of. You can't lead somebody you're afraid of. And I know it's like, well, have you seen her angry? I'm just saying. (laughs) You can't lead somebody you're afraid of. And let me go a step further. You can't really love somebody that you're afraid of like that either. Not the way you're called to. So sometimes you see the curse of mastery getting played out in our world sometimes you see the curse of domineering rule over getting played out this is dominating male headship that results in oppressive and abusive to women but neither of those are what we're called to in the fall should be helpers become hindrances and should be leaders become oppressors neither is what we're called to it's a distortion it's a disordering. men we need to see this okay I I want us to get this Central to the fall was not Eve eating the forbidden fruit, but Adam's failure of leadership. Look at verse 17 of chapter 3 of Genesis. And to Adam, God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Wait, what? Now, he's not saying, man, here, it's not that it's wrong to listen to your wife. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, Here's where you went wrong. You didn't lead. I put you in here, I gave you this commandment, this happened on your watch, you were passive, this is the problem. It's like, because you listened to the voice of your wife, when I put you in charge, I gave you the command, and you just neglected your call to leadership. That's what he's getting called out on. He neglected his call to leadership. And men, listen, we have been... Given the responsibility, I want to say that word, responsibility to provide leadership, godly leadership through the word of God. Knowing the word of God, holding to the word of God, passing on the word of God. And just like in the garden, it is devastating when we neglect it. Just like in the garden, it is devastating when we neglect it. You know, children from fatherless homes account for 63% of youth suicides. 71% of pregnant teenagers, 90% of homeless runaway children, 70% of juveniles in state operated institutions, 85% of youth that exhibit behavior disorders, 71% of high school dropouts, 75% of all adolescents in chemical abuse centers, 85% of youth sitting in prison. And and get this, a study showed that if a mother does not go to church, but a father does, a minimum of two-thirds of their children will end up attending church when they grow up. But if a mother goes to church and the father doesn't, on average, two-thirds of their children will not attend church when they grow up. And listen, I'm not giving those statistics to despair single moms. That God's grace is sufficient. If we had time to go through the unique way that God answers prayers of women in scriptures, it's amazing. I'm just saying there's something to the design of God. The way that he made things and what he calls us to. And listen, if you win the men, you win the family. And if you win the family, you win the church. And if you win the church, you win the community. If you win the community, you shape the culture. And listen, guys, it's really easy just to kind of be hard on men. Like, let's go, guys. Step it up, right? But this isn't a scolding. This is a, can you imagine? Just, just the dudes in the church. Like, can you imagine? If you, if you weren't afraid of every emotion of your wife, and yet you were willing to gladly die for her. Can you imagine if you initiated spiritual conversations with your kids? can you imagine if if you set the spiritual temperature in your home and you took charge and like this is who we're going to be because dads you can have as many lectures you want with your kids but they're watching you do they see you sing do they see you worship do they see you love and serve do they want to be like you do they see a passion for Jesus in your life Don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? We want a church full of godly people. Oh, if what could be true of Veritas is a reputation, but if you go to Veritas, you're going to see a place full of godly men. How sweet would that be? If there is a reputation, if you go to Veritas, you're going to hear men sing passionately to God. You're going to see men love their families. You're going to see men who love the Lord with all their heart, mind, and strength. How awesome would that be? Embrace the responsibility to lead, provide, and protect. And our greatest example is Jesus Christ, who laid down his life. So guys, if you're feeling like, oh, I've dropped the ball, you feel inadequate in that, know that his grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient for you, and he's calling you. Act like men. Let's pray. Father, I know that we may have touched on a subject that causes our guard to go up or something that can be very countercultural. And I just want to confess that we confess you, your ways are higher than our ways. You know more than we. You're good. You can be trusted. And we, we witness the display of your trustworthiness in your display of your care. And you showed your care for us on the cross. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when we look at Christ on the cross, displaying His love, We trust everything you say. You are a good God, worthy of worship, and worthy to be followed. Pray this in your name. Amen.